Hello, I'm Mohamed Rafitari from Charles Rettner Institute, Memphis, Tennessee area. And I'm Mark Dunbar. I practice at the Baskin Palmer Eye Institute in Miami, Florida. We are here to talk about retinal vein occlusion. So the first case is about workup recommendation in ages 15 and above. So we have to make sure the patients see their PCP, they're checked for you know, routine things like high blood pressure, cholesterol, get a CBC, make sure they don't have any uh, hematologic disease. We have to talk to these patients about not smoking, lifestyle. Uh, these are risk factors, aging, obesity, cholesterol, hypertension, especially smoking to retinal vein occlusion. You know, hypertension seems intuitive that that's a risk factor. Interestingly, when the retinal vein occlusion studies were done by the NEI in the 1980s, half the patients had high blood pressure and half the patients didn't. So you always wonder what role that plays. And of course, these patients, as you mentioned, are over 50. Often they have atherosclerosis and other things. Sleep apnea is one risk factor. Do you, do you check blood pressure in the office no. when you see somebody who has a vein occlusion? We don't either. Probably should just to make sure they don't have, they're a hypertensive emergent or something like I that. I do if I suspect that, you know, stage four hypertensive retinopathy, yeah. papilledema type patients. Yeah. So this first case is a 70-year-old woman that's referred actually for a branch retinal vein occlusion to my clinic. She's complaining of having some flow there, small black spots for a few months. She's a monovision contact lens wearer and her right eye is their distance eye. And she's diagnosed recently with hypertension. She's on medication. She's had cholesterol for a while. She takes medication. She's a current smoker for several years and she doesn't want to uh, stop smoking. She does have family history of macular degeneration. And as you can see, she does have some of these risk factors we talked about. So this is her first examination. The, the right eye basically uh, corrects to 20-25. The left eye, her vision all throughout the sequence of uh, her examination, she was always in the 20-40, She fluctuated, but she's a monovision bearer, so I don't know if that has to, anything to do with it. But she doesn't have any retinal pathology or any cataracts or anything like that. This is her photograph. You can see this radiation of intraretinal and nerfovular hemorrhages along the infratemporal vessels. On the OCT particularly, you don't see any macular edema at this day one examination of this patient. So what would you recommend to do with this patient right now? Classic, you know, branch retinal vein occlusion. There isn't really a mystery to the diagnosis. You can see this is an inferior temporal. You see the side of the AV crossing, that very typical pattern of, of, of hemorrhages. You know, one of the questions that I try to think to myself, number one, obviously, is there macular edema and the fact that she has good acuity at 2025. And, and again, you do an OCT, number one, to establish a baseline because we know that these patients can get worse. So just because they don't have macular edema at this visit doesn't mean they don't get it. And so the, the OCT becomes important. And then really the other question is, is this an ischemic or, or a non-ischemic retinal vein occlusion? And you know, there's some clues in that image, Mo, that kind of helps you make that decision, right? You don't always need a fluorescein angiogram to know whether it's ischemic or non-ischemic. No, but for the most part, many of these conditions over time do become ischemic. So, and that plays a role. So, uh, you know, we go through this patient education about smoking cessation, management of a medical condition. But at this point, it was elected to monitor this patient. Why? Because 
as Mark said, her visual acuity is good. There is no edema, and you have to have edema as a criterion for, for insurance coverage for treatment of most of this vein occlusion. You don't have to have it, but it is the FDA clearance for mo most of these medications says macular edema with RVO. She's hesitant to get injections. She's recently been diagnosed with hypertension, so blood pressure control may play a role. But at, this, at the same time, I do warn this lady that you may have to get an injection. Like you said, these conditions do tend to get wo worse at sometimes. Sometimes they do spontaneously uh, clear up. So I told her come back in a month, and of course it comes back in the month, now she realized that she has a problem. Because her vision has changed for the last two weeks, so she's more amenable to go ahead and get treatment. As you can see on the picture, the intraocular, uh, the intraretinal hemorrhages and the nerve fiber hemorrhages are much more intense. Now you have evidence of macular edema on the OCT, and this is significant amount of macular edema on the OCT. So her center foveal thickness went from 294 to 510. So at this time, she does get an injection. Now, so treatment options. You know, we had the branch retinal vein occlusion studies that talked about focal photocoagulation and panretinal photocoagulation for patients who develop neovascularization, but they were really not that successful in management of macular edema. So then you have steroid injections, you have anti-VEGF injections. In anti-VEGF injections, you have the insurance issues, you have to do step therapy. Some things work for some patients, some don't for other patients. So at this point, this patient received a, a besavizumab, the Avastin FDA off-label injection, which is fairly common and most insurances want us to do that for a step therapy and to come back in a month. So she comes back in a month Although the intraretinal hemorrhages are getting better, her foveal thickness is actually going up. Her visual acuity and vision hasn't changed much, but there's, I'm not seeing a resolution to the, to the condition right now. She's actually, edema-wise, she's worse, but we are on that step therapy, so we have to give her yet one more Avastin injection and have her come back in a month, which she comes back and her visual acuity is better now. The edema has subsided, but it's not ideal yet. And it's right time to do switcher to a Febrilocept or ILEA, which is FDA approved for branch retinal vein occlusion with macular edema. So she gets that injection, she comes back in a month, she gets a couple of these injections, and over time you can see an improvement in the macular edema. So photographs are not available for this two visits, but you can see the second IVA is trying, uh, or IVE, ILEA is getting better. And over time, she stabilizes to 2025. 20, uh, intraretinal hemorrhages and nerve fibrillary hemorrhages are gone. The center foveal thickness is good, but like Mark said, now if you look at that arrow, there are occluded blood vessels there. So you are in that scheme state of ischemia. In this patient, fortunately, it's not in the macular area, so it's not changing her visual um, function per se, but this patient is at risk to develop neovascularization down the road. Yeah. So this patient still need to be... And, and I think that's an important point, Mo, and I kind of wanted to get that in there at some point. Remember, these patients, especially with ischemic BRVOs, if they develop neovascularization, it's going to be in the back of the eye as opposed to CRVOs where they tend to be more in, it, in the angle. And so, you know, one of the questions in addition to the whole macular edema question is, you know, looking specifically, do you see any neovascularization? You know, uh, clearly there's the occluded blood vessels, but I, 
I don't think in general this is an ischemic BRBL. No, it's not. It's ischemia is a, is, secula, is, clearly there. Is a yeah. secula of this condition. I mean, if you have blood flow, the hemodynamics in the patient who has retinal vein occlusion changes and blood clots and both arteries and veins become sort of ghosted over time, yeah. you know, so it, it, it does affect their visual function, but they don't know it. You know, from a functional perspective, is this a patient that you would even consider uh, a visual field? Because with that inferior vein occlusion, you might expect a superior visual field defect in some patients with that type of field defect. Not necessarily, yeah. because you have to do a full field on that yeah. patient. 24-2 uh, uh, or what have yeah. you is not covered that. But to your point, sometimes these patients are seen in that ischemic range and they may be misdiagnosed for glaucoma because this results into some degree of nerve fiber yeah. layer defect. Right now location. So over the long haul of this patient at her last visit, which was just recently, April of 2023, she's doing great, but she's still being monitored for potential problems because honestly, I've seen patients that have had vein occlusion years ago and they come back with vitreous hemorrhage, neovascularization, they come back with you know, done the road problem. So we educate these patients to continue monitoring their medical problems, have their medical physicals, try to get them off smoking, and that should be, that's a relentless issue. You know, it's interesting that even though she improves and gets better, here we are 43 months later, right? And, and, and I don't know how many injections, but, but the edema in these patients just seems to want to come back. Um, it does and, come back and, and finally, I mean, did she need any more injections after this or you, you kind of got her clear and, and stable visual acuity? So in this slide, if you look at the OCT, there is really, there is still good organization of the macula. This is a vertical cut on both sides, the disease side and the normal side. Now you do see on the thickness map that red, red disease down there. So that shows that the macula is getting or the near the macula or the center fovea is getting thicker. So that's a warning sign that you have to watch. And like you said, these patients may get worse. Yeah, you know, I, I think go back to the B-scan and, and that patient, right? I mean, we're used to looking at the slice through the macula and of course the question, do you see any fluid? Do you see any elevation? And, and clearly you don't and the visual acuity kind of tells us with 2025 they're doing good. But, but I think too often we don't really pay much attention or enough attention to the thickness map. So especially in the scan below, you see that reddish area that tells you, you know, that area in particular is, is elevated. So even though there's no edema in the macula, there is some thickening down below. And, and the one thing we know about these retinal vein occlusions, often they will get worse over time. And if they don't have edema today, you know, by following them, you know, these patients can go on to develop macular edema. So you just said paying attention to the thickness map. That's very important. This instrument is a tomography instrument, but it gives us topography, and we have to pay attention to both. And we have to do clinical correlation to see if things we are seeing yeah. make sense. I would include, you know, as a provider looking at these patients, you know, we, you know, with ischemic BRVOs, we talk about the risk of neovascularization. And this one I don't think is ischemic because you've got really good choroidal detail peripherally and, and so, but I think one of the things in your medical record that you want to document is that the presence or absence of neovascularization. So I think you need to ask yourself that question and make sure you, you include that you actually were thinking about it, you looked at it, and there wasn't any neovascularization present. And this is the, as, as the disease progresses, you can see that this organization of the retina is starting to 
to kick in with uh, advancing of a disease. So it's unfortunate that even though we can help these patients with anti-VEGF, once this process begins, it's never going to be like it was before. But at the same time, thank God for anti-VEGF because pre-anti-VEGF, we couldn't do a whole lot with these right. patients. No, we would laser them and remember the goal was not necessarily to get them better, just to kind of prevent them from getting worse. And you know, sometimes they did get better, but you know, you look back and you think, what a barbaric treatment to try to laser the retina to dry it up. And, and uh, even though I'm not sure having an intravitreal injection is maybe an optimal option for a patient perspective, we know these drugs work very, very well. That's just, you know, I think a very typical story of a patient with a branch retinal vein occlusion that comes into an optometric office, obviously with OCT having the tools to recognize the presence of macular edema, getting them to the retinal specialist at the right time, and then, and then just serial injections. Finally, obviously, you're able to get rid of the edema and the patient has stability of the visual acuity. Thank you, Mark, and thank you all.